This one's for anyone who's thought about flipping a house, but they're not sure if they should do house flipping or wholesaling real estate. That's a strategy where you can quickly flip a house by getting in our contract and passing it to an investor. So Hannah and Lucas, they've done 129 deals since they were bored in COVID and decided to start a business. And they're doing this full time now. They never even had a real job after college. And they actually have done a lot of wholesale deals, tried some flipping, and went back. They're going to talk about the pros and cons. And you're going to learn from some real pros. I'm David Lecko, and I created a process that's helped people close 10,000 deals in all 50 states that turned into the software platform Deal Machine. And this is the podcast to 10x your income and replace your W-2. Hannah and Lucas, can you tell me how you made $750 on your first deal and then $30,000 on your very second deal? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think, um, so at the time we were starting wholesaling, this is January, 2020, no, January, 2021. So we had been through the pandemic and, um, while everybody else was chilling, Lucas and I decided we'd start a wholesaling business. Um, and it was January in Minnesota, Minneapolis. So it's like negative 30 degrees. We had nothing better to do. And we decided, I think our budget was $300 a month. Okay. And we started pulling the list um, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, because that's where Lucas went to school. And we were doing a little bit of list pulling in Minneapolis and a little bit of list pulling in Milwaukee. They're very different markets. Minneapolis is very expensive, you know, nicer homes, while Milwaukee is, you know, more similar to Detroit, lower home values. And yeah, I think we just got connected with somebody, one of the first people who said they wanted to sell. And he said, I don't want to sell my house that we were calling him about. We were cold calling. Um, oh, that was another one of our 300 was a dialer. And we used free skip tracing, got a hold of some guy. And he said, I don't want to sell my house. I want to sell this vacant lot. So I think at the time, the YouTube videos were saying something. I kind of remember like vacant land is worth 20% of ARV. Or there was one of those little like catchy formulas or something of new builds, you know. And this is in Milwaukee. And we were like, oh my God, like ARV is 80K. So this lot is worth so much. And I, I think we ended up locking it up for like 1500 bucks. And we were like, this is nothing. Like we're going to sell this so easy. Um, we turn around, we posted on Facebook that day and people were just coming at us in the comments. Literally like, you can buy these lots from the city for $50, which is true. Um, the city of Milwaukee owns like thousands of lots and you can buy them. I think it is 50 bucks. You can go yes. oh, like a hundred bucks. And all these investors were coming at us. There's no way you're selling this. It's not a deal. So we're sad. And the thing just randomly, this guy from California messages us and he's like, that happens a lot. I think that people in markets that are very expensive, like California, want to invest in, you know, buy $100,000, $60,000 houses um, for cash flow. And he saw this lot and he probably thought, well, we thought, oh, this is nothing. 
So he ends up buying it from us, assigning, we assign it to him. We're so excited and we're making $750. That's it. But we were over the moon. I mean, seriously. And we closed on it. So he bought it for what, $2,250 or something like that? Yeah, yeah, 2500 $2, Yeah. Wow. The next day after we close, we see he's listed it on Craigslist for like twenty. Citizen thinking. <laughs> he thought he was going to have his payout, but we were just. But he closed on it yourself, so it's not like he couldn't sell it, and he... you got stuck with this guy trying to sell your property. No, he had a yeah. contract. Right, he bought it. He closed on it. Um, I think he was just watching the same YouTube videos that we were. I <laughs> think he probably thought it was worth way more. But I mean, he he bought it, and we took our check, and you know, we're really happy about that. Um, I would say, yeah, and that was our first yeah, deal. I would say if you're in a price range where the, uh, first of all, the after repair value, you know, is like what a perfect house would sell for, uh, for those listening. And if you are in like a $300,000 price range, like, yeah, maybe, uh, the land is worth 20% of that. But if you're yeah. in a price range where the most nicest house is only selling for 80,000, I mean, building a house costs 80,000. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> It doesn't really apply there. So interesting way that you found that out. I love that story. And I'm glad you guys made 750 bucks on it, even though you had it a little, um, you know, overpriced yourself. It, so um, it, you were bored during the pandemic, but I was a little bit curious. Did you guys have a job at that time as well? Or, or were you like kind of in the industry that got shut down during the pandemic? Um, well, I was in grad school i was going to uh for a school of psychology and i absolutely hated it um i'm sure covid you know doing everything online um i'm sure that had a lot to do with it but i wasn't working during that time i mean i dropped out um and hannah coincidentally was just graduating undergrad at that point and um i was doing doordash uh you know I was getting some cash on the side, um, and I was telling like a, only income. I don't even. I think Hannah was babysitting maybe. She was doing a nanny tutor job, um, making some some my uh, dollars on the side as well. But you know, we weren't working. Working. I mean, we were doing like multiple and I get some cash while we try to do this real estate. Yeah, uh, and just fingers crossed that it would work. Um, but it ended up working out. So it was a good, it was a good gamble. But looking back on it, a little, a little bit of a risk for sure. But we kept hearing podcasts that said, "Keep writing to you," and then all those guys saying, "Like, oh, you, you got to bring your bridges. You, if you have a plan A, like skip plan B, and like commit to it." And you know, when you're so new to it, you're also pretty gullible and pretty, uh, you know, just willing to believe it and um, uh, we just said screw it let's do this and uh, we gave ourselves a few months to make right yeah well so tell me about the second deal because that one was a banger yeah i actually love this story because me and lucas were cold calling um, like I was saying, just hitting the dialer, you know, 45 hours a day. Um, and, you know, we were driving. What we would do is drive for dollars 
and Lucas would drive and I'd sit in the passenger seat and we'd be on, you know, first street and he'd look out the left and he'd go one, two, two, three. And I'd go one, two, two, you know, four. And we'd write down all the addresses and then we'd go home and we'd make an Excel sheet, write down all the addresses and then do free skip tracing. So, you know, there's 10 phone numbers per person and we would cold call them. And we've been doing that at that point for our first deal closed in April. So, and we started in January. So that was four months when we made that $750. And around that same time, around April, there had been a house that Lucas actually had made a relationship with this guy. And we had analysis paralysis and he had given us a price, but we didn't know what we were doing. We offered him, you know, 50% of ARV, something super low. And he wanted another price and we thought it was too high, way too high. So we ended up not doing anything with it. And then like a month later, we ended up seeing that that house sold like 60K over what he was asking for. So there probably was a deal there. We were super down on our luck, super depressed um, about that because we that was a, could have been our first deal. And then I this is so specific. I remember we were sitting there and I started crying and I was like, this is so hard. Like, I don't know how much longer we can do this. Like every day is like trudging through the mud. And as I'm crying, literally like having meltdown, Lucas's phone rings and it's that guy. And we're like, who is this dude? Like, or like, what is he calling? I'm like, oh my God. So Lucas answers and he goes, hey, do you guys buy fire damage? And Lucas said, oh yeah, yeah, we buy fire damage, totally. And he's like, my mom's house or something happened. Somebody is family um, had a fire. And we went there that day, got it locked up that day at the property, got a contract, had no clue what we were doing. Um, and then just on a whim, posted it on Facebook that night walked a buyer the next day and signed a contract on site with the buyer for a 30k fee in the span of like 36 hours it was insane it was so crazy and we could not wrap our heads around it it was crazy so it happened and we are family members kind of saying what what happens buyer is close uh, yeah, it's always stayed. It's the all known bios play games, like now going through so many experiences. There's a lot of chances that a buyer can try to screw you over, whether it's intentional or unintentional, stuff happens at the end of the day. And this was a very long closing. It was like three months or something, uh, because the city of Minneapolis requires a lot of, uh, inspections on these fire damage properties prior to title transferring. And we had no idea. We posted it in the Facebook group. Kind of coming at us a little bit. Like I didn't see a, a tit, I think it's called a Tish report. Plus something like that. Interrupting this episode to tell you guys that a contract, when you're dealing with somebody who wants to sell their house, that's run down and something in their life happens where they need to get rid of it. And they would prefer speed and convenience over the top dollar for their house, they're experiencing stress. Now, the typical real estate contract in your state probably is 17 pages long. 
And that can actually add to the stress and make them uncomfortable. Why are there so many words? One of the things that I've been using is a meetup in town told me they recommend using a shorter version of the contract. And she actually said, you only need five things for a real estate contract. The buyer, the seller, the address, the date of closing, and the price, and that's it. Now, the one I use is a bit more, three pages long, but I found that it's helpful to share it for informational purposes and entertainment only. If you're curious, go to dealmachine.com slash contract if you want to see what that looks like. And we had no idea what this was. And so we actually take it upon ourselves to reach out to the city. And, you know, looking back on this, I think this probably should have been a partner's responsibility. But we thought it was our responsibility. So we reached out to the city. We had the inspectors come out. They, quote unquote, passed it and whatnot. We even taped all of the junk removal of the, uh, the materials inside the house. And we dropped, I think, like $3,800 on a massive amount of dumpsters. And again, looking back on it, we we did essentially put up Fort Rand uh, just in jeopardy, hoping that this would close for a 30 grand profit. And it's just like, it easily could have been gotten in the way. You know what I mean? Like that four G's could have just been, you know, uh, just thrown away because what if it didn't close? Right. So typically when you're wholesaling, you're not making uh, enhancements in any way to the property. No. Yeah. Right. No. Usually the most right. at risk. And we, we know that now. Your earnest money. Right. Yeah. But Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you don't know what you don't know. So okay. we just thought, yeah, this is our responsibility. You're in contract as the buyers. Why wouldn't they close? You're yeah. legally required to close. So yeah, we're safe and sound. Let's put up this four grand for the dumpsters. And, you know, we'll get a return for the 30 grand at the end of this contract. But it's just so good. <laughs> now we know. <laughs> How did you guys come up with the offer price? question uh i think you and literally just their ask price and i think so i i remember the numbers they wanted 100k i think i remember we almost had and actually i remember we went home after we walked it and we almost had analysis paralysis again where we were like we don't know how to comp we don't know what to do blah 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 blah, blah. and then i think I don't, this is probably not good advice, but at the time, I think we just really wanted a deal and we were like, I don't know how to run numbers on a rehab for us, for a fire damaged property, but it's probably expensive. And so I think we just tried our best and then we kind of just wanted a deal. So I feel like we just told them, sure, we'll do the hundred K just give us an inspection period. And they agreed. And we kind of like reverse engineered that it was a good price once the buyer started Hitting us up. At that end of the day, we just, you know, you hear those general rule of thumbs as you start to learn. When you got medic rehab it or a light rehab, what a medium street rehab is and what large rehab is. And I think we just took that random, I don't even know where we put the rule of thumb, but it was like 60 grand for a large rehab. Mm. Uh, I think was the number. And we just took, okay, yeah, this could probably take about 60 grand. We have no clue, truly. Um, and it's funny because I thought, like Hannah said, that Ellie's asking price wasn't good. But I remember thinking, oh, I'm going to go in there. 
having a negotiate with the seller, I'm going to make this like a lower price. You know, if you think you're going to, if you choose to stiff arm, just like, no, I'm not going to eat pennies. You mean, I actually off the way. And you're like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll get back to you and see if we can make it work. And then I think we'd be in the car, right inside of the house. And realize, wait, this doesn't feel right. We should go back and get this. Yeah, and we went back. Yeah, we got out of the car, went back to the cellar. She was like just standing on the floor. And we were like, honestly, if we can make this work, let's get this on paper. Let's get it going. And uh, yeah, if it worked out, I mean, thank God we won. Well, I'm glad you went. All right, so now, yeah, now, so you went back. Now you got it under contract, and then you're nervous as freaking heck. Yeah. You're like, how are we going to sell this thing? So tell us how, how did you find a buyer for this? Okay. So I think that we, there was some Minneapolis Facebook investors group um, that we had been meeting buyers in. And she actually, the seller gave us a lockbox and they were really hands off. They're like, you guys can come back here whenever you need to. Um, and they were really now, now with how many deals we've done, I don't think we've ever had a seller so hands off. That's like, yeah, sure. Go in whenever you want. Um, so that, that was very, very, uh, that was very beneficial to us. I think we posted it on Facebook in some group and just put the address and the pictures and all the information. And I think we had like four or five buyers that, that wanted to walk it, um, and we showed up the next day, maybe showed like four buyers. I think we were advertising it at maybe 145. And I remember the buyer we ended up selling it to, he's walking through it. And he's like, you're always asking prices way too high. And so we're like, oh man, we're like shaking. And he's like, I, I wouldn't buy this for more than 130. And we had a concept at a hundred. And we were like, <laughs> we were like, what? He's going to buy this at 130? what so you said yeah we can take that no problem (laughs) you know oh yeah (laughs) and yeah again you think all this is a myth until it actually happens right yeah here are stories and he's really gonna buy this for 130 and i know we had him sign a contract at the property which is funny to think about because we don't really do that now but it's all east sign yeah it's all over the over the internet now um but I do remember when when we had a few buyers walking it, there were, I think, three out of the four all said this is a horrible deal. And we started thinking, oh, my gosh, we were right originally. So, like, what did we just get ourselves into? And then, it, I mean, a big thing that we learned was, like, it just takes one person that actually sees value in that opportunity um, on the buyer side. And, I mean, literally one guy... And it took that one guy to make it happen. And it, she, she had a funding partner who was really like the person that was signing it. And she just wanted to sign it on site. And yeah, we're like, okay, now what? <laughs> Once we got it all signed. This is all, this is you all's podcast here, but this just brings to mind one a deal that I had. Ah, this is probably two years ago now. The city had referred them to me, and they called, and they're like, the house is in bad shape. And I'm like, okay, cool. Let me go look at it. And they're like, you can just have it. If you'll if if you'll just sign the paper so that we're not 
responsible for it. You can just have the house. And I'm like, let me go and see it first. So I go there and I walk the property and it's, it's every bit of bad that you can imagine. There's homeless people in it. There's dogs in it. Like there's trash. But I'm like, look, if you're willing to give it away, like I'll, I'll take it. And so I remember I'm like, look, let's not do it just free. I've got, I had an Applebee's gift card in my truck and I hate Applebee's. So I'm like, you guys can have this Applebee's gift card, go have dinner. I'll take the house. I'll take on the, the headaches. We signed it. I, I went ahead and closed on it. Cause I'm like, it's a, this is a free house. So yeah, it's costing me nothing. So we closed on it. Then I'm walking through a couple of investors and I'll never forget the guys like, yeah, the most I'd give you is 8,000. And I'm like, I'll take it. That's a great deal. <laughs> Absolutely. So like, it's so cool to be in that you're in the leverage position when you're walking people through these houses. Like if, especially here when he's like, yeah, 130 me now in, in the experience, I'm like, the first thing I would say is, well, 140 is probably as low as I would go, but you already had, you already had the contract at a hundred. So you already immediately, you know, I'm, we're walking away with 30 grand on this deal. So you don't have to push to negotiate anymore. You already know this is a good deal. And the ease of that, that transaction, I'm sure that was like the best, probably your favorite transaction. It should be. Yeah. Oh, sounds like a, a great one. Absolutely. Well, it's also interesting because you know, with the first one, you also, you don't know what you have when you have it. Like, so now when we come across a really good deal, we're able to, you know, be a little bit more firm when we need to be firm, uh, with other buyers or with mm -hmm. buyers, right? Mm -hmm. Because we know like this guy's just trying to pull something on me. He's just trying to lowball us yep. or et cetera, et cetera. Um, but back then it's like your, especially your first one and even your first few, when you're trying to like get get the the comfortability with numbers and whatnot, still, you don't know the product you have. Um, you might know a little bit, of course, but you you more than likely can't bring that level of confidence with buyers. I remember all those feelings like they were yesterday. Yeah, I I specifically remember our first deal we ever walked. I'm so excited, like the first property we ever saw, and we used to print out. Like they bring this binder and I printed off like all every Zillow sale in the last six months. We had like an, I didn't, and all the forms me just in case I'd bring this binder and I remember walking through the house and the guy would be like, yeah. And you know, I just got some tuck pointing done. Yeah. I know you guys know what tuck pointing is. And we were like, yeah, yeah. You should be writing it down and later on. <laughs> he kept saying i know you guys know more about this than i do and and we were just yeah we do you know <laughs> we kept just pretending and it was all like learning and honestly so much of the business like just making you have to have that ability to do safety and adapt to the situation um because there's so much you don't know really there is one uh Uda, good, good job so add the faking it um, I think people hear that and they interpret it the wrong way and they will make up right. answers that don't exist, for example. And so I would mm -hmm. make sure, um, you know, if, if somebody says, 
um, does this ten or does this house, you know, meet a certain zoning code? And they just uh, immediately reply like, oh, yeah, it's no problem without actually understanding or knowing then uh, that can get you into trouble. It can damage your reputation. And I just wanted to yeah. encourage people to feel comfortable also saying, I don't know, but I'll find out. I don't know. Yep. Yes. I agree 100% on that. Yeah. Like it, faking until you make it to a certain extent, like being truthful, knowledge. Yep. Yeah. Confident, but also just very comfortable with not knowing everything. You can confidently not know the answer. I'm, I don't exactly. Know. So 2021, we really started our wholesale business. 2022, I think we got really caught up in kind of like following the carrot wherever it was. So we started buying rentals um, that treated us well. Um, I think we bought like 10 doors last year or something like that. So scaled super quick from like January to December. And then we started trying to flip. We started doing all these things. And then... It was really overwhelming, and I think now we have decided we're scaling back from that. We're only focused on wholesaling. Like, mm -hmm. obviously, we're keeping the rentals that we have, but not focused on buying, not focused on flipping. Like, that's a huge part of our last six months is get rid of all the distractions and focus our energy only on, on the wholesaling, and that's been really helpful, I think, and I think that's what we'll continue to do. Why did you pick wholesaling instead of flipping as your focus? Honestly, flipping was stressful, very stressful. Um, you know, it was just a lot. I mean, as everything like that you first do, there's so many new learning experiences. And at that point, we felt really comfortable with wholesaling. And we were thinking, oh, we're getting these leads that aren't really at a wholesale price. Um, they're probably at where an end buyer would want to be at to flip the house. And why don't we try this? Like, let's let's do what some of these flippers are doing. Um, and we can still make a profit off of these leads as opposed to, you know, just keeping them in our CRM until they might turn into a wholesale transaction. And I, it, it just, the level of stress of managing, uh, managing contractors and then even post-management when it's all fixed up, it's almost like this product that you want to be really proud of, but you see all the flaws that probably not everyone else sees and then listing it and hoping that it sells at the price that you put it out at. And there's like this like waiting period that we really hated. Um, whereas wholesale deals, as, as you both know, or they tend to be quick, you get a buyer in there and if it's actually a good deal, like they're coming in with cash 90% of the time and it's always, uh, or it tends to be a lot quicker. And I think the the time, uh, the, the concept of waiting uh, on the market and, you know, trying to appeal to a homestead buyer who's going to move in with their family more than likely, they're ticky tacky about all of the little elements yeah. of it. Yeah. It was just stressful, super stressful. Like we hated that. Um, yeah, that was huge. It, like, yeah. I think we're so used to wholesaling. So you have these buyers who they're buying three to four deals a month. They come in. They take a look at it and we kind of got used to looking at houses through that mindset is like is it good enough sure it's good enough and so then we started flipping and then you're appealing to it it's a whole different business you're appealing to this homestead buyer so people were complaining about the size of the yard you know we've never even thought about the size of the yard because we're selling we're only thinking about yeah. rental and things like 
you know, uh, having new windows, but there was like some moisture in the windows. For us, it's not a big deal. The window's fine. But then they wanted us to replace all the windows. And all these things, it's a whole different. Yeah. It's And so we couldn't get out of that. We're used to selling buyers as is, take one look, and they're done, and it's cash, and it's over, and it's not like that. Got it. Yeah, so you prefer the speed of the money, and that can also build your cash reserves, right? So you could buy more rentals later. Well, I love that it allowed you to move to the beautiful city of Austin, Texas, and I can't wait to follow up with you guys when you cross the 200-deal mark. And uh, for those listening, if you guys want to check out uh, Hannah and Lucas on Instagram, it's Hannah underscore M-A-R-10 and Lucas underscore Dahmer, D-O-M-M-E-R. Ryan's Instagram is Heritage Home Investments. And if you guys wanted to check out a podcast episode on how to analyze a deal in further detail, um, check out episode 71 on how to analyze a real estate deal. And with that, we'll see you guys on the next episode of the Deal Machine Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Deal Machine Real Estate Investing Podcast. Please leave us a review and follow along wherever you're listening to your podcast.